All right. If you would, take your Bible and turn to Psalm 121. We are going to conclude today our series through the book of Psalms. We've been looking at uh, varieties. The Psalms are written in different types, and so I've tried to select a variety of Psalms so you could get an idea of the big picture of the book. So we're going to be at 121 this morning, and then tonight at 6 o'clock we're going to look at 146 through 150 and see how the book of Psalms closes up. So that's, that's our game plan. As you're turning in your Bible or your phone to the book of Psalms, I want to remind you of a couple of other things quickly. I know there's a lot of things to keep in your mind, but these are two things I want you to be aware of. The first is coming up at the end of this month, on the last, uh, last Friday night of the month, our ladies are having a paint party, and there'll be sign-ups available after the service over in the Federal Street lobby, or there'll be other places to sign up. But the money from that paint party will go toward a new ministry that our church is working toward to provide food for kids in local schools who don't have enough food on the weekends. Maybe they're able to get food during the week when they come to school and they have breakfast and lunch, but they go home and they are underserved food situations and don't have food during the weekend. This program allows us to put some food in a backpack or in their backpack and they can take it home and it provides nourishment for them. Our friends at First Baptist New Orleans are helping us get started But we as a church are going to come together and see how the Lord might use us. We're also particularly looking for someone who the Lord might have given you a heart for this type of ministry. And you could help to lead out in this. It wouldn't be committing a lot of hours. It wouldn't be a huge amount of time. But just to be the liaison between our church and and this local school. And so if that's something that you're interested in, you have a heart for just see me at some point. Give me an email uh, on my email address on the front of the bulletin, and I would love to, to talk with you some more, some more about that. Also, next Sunday, by the time I get to this point on Sunday morning, I will be going through my sermon for the second time. So hopefully, Lord willing, it will be better maybe than the first time. But uh, next Sunday, we are starting an 8 a.m. worship service. And there are a lot of people, to my surprise, there are a lot of people that are very excited about the 8 a.m. worship service. If you have family activities on Sunday, if your work schedule makes it difficult to get here on Sunday mornings at 10.30, if you just are already awake at 5 a.m. and 8 o'clock is just a natural time to come to church, we are going to have a service at 8 o'clock, and then we're going to continue just like usual with our service at 10.30. This will also give us a chance simply just to, just to reach more people. As people come in and find it difficult to find a seat, it's hard to come back if a room feels full or crowded, especially if you're a guest. And so I know many of you are excited about the 8 o'clock service, so I expect you to be bright and cheery next week at 8 o'clock. I will be bright and cheery, but I expect you to be bright and cheery at 8 o'clock next Sunday morning. And so we hope that that will be a blessing to you, plus a chance for you to invite your friends uh, and family, especially if you have co-workers who have difficulty getting to a 1030 service, but they could come to an 8 o'clock service. Hopefully that would be a ministry to you. All right, we are going to look at Psalm 121. Let me read this as we get started. We're going to stand later in just a moment for a different reason. So if you just want to stay seated just for a moment, I'm going to read Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. 
Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Father, we thank you for the time of worship this morning. We thank you for the celebration of baptism. God, we thank you for the families and friends who have gathered here. And we gather around the hope and the truth of your word. Not what any particular person would sing or any particular person would say, but God, we desire that as we worship you together, you would prepare us for what you have in store for us each day of our lives, and that you would be the foundation of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you got a bulletin, uh, as you came in, you can flip that bulletin over, and we have some notes that you can look at as we go along. It might just provide some structure for how we're going to look at Psalm 121. I don't know what shows you like to watch as a family, and I realize when we're talking watching shows as a family, there's not a very long list there, but one of the shows that our family loves to watch is called American Ninja Warrior. Now, you may have grown up watching American Gladiators. This isn't quite like American Gladiators, but it's got the obstacle course feel to it, and we love my kids dream of being American Ninja Warrior contestants. They practice in the backyard. We build obstacles in the backyard to to practice and train for these type of things. If you have not seen American Ninja Warrior, here's your chance to watch a minute clip, okay? This is a lady named Michelle Warnke, who's one of the best female competitors. If you have to play it without the sound, that's okay. Watching this a few weeks ago, and watching this lady compete, and I thought, what is written on her thigh? And she got to the other side and saw that it was a Psalm 121. And I knew that I was planning for this series, and I had one more week that I didn't know what to fill in on that final week. And so I thought, the Lord has spoken through American Ninja Warrior. It's going to be Psalm 121. That's what we're going to be looking at. And then, and, and you've seen athletes write scripture. You know, Tim Tebow was famous for putting it on his, uh, his eye black. And you see people write John 3.16 or Philippians 4.13. But Psalm 21, or 121, I hadn't seen before. So I went back and I started to read it that night. And verse 3 says, he will not let your foot slip. And I thought that's why she wrote Psalm 121, except the irony of it is she gets to the very last obstacle, and you know what happens? Her foot slips. And so you always worry that someone is not going to be drawn toward God's word because she wrote Psalm 121 on her leg, she makes it all the way to the last obstacle, and she slips. If Psalm 121 is not about how to make it through an obstacle course, what in the world is the psalm about? This particular psalm is a part of a group of psalms that runs from 120 to 134. So there are 15 psalms that are usually called the Psalms of Ascent, A-S-C-E-N-T. If you look in your, in your hard copy of the Bible, or this may show up in your phone depending on what app you have, but just under the title, Psalm 121, there most likely will be a, a subtitle or a subheading that will say a song of ascents. What it means is ascents in the sense that as you went up to Jerusalem, 
the people, uh, the Jewish people, they had three major festivals every year. These huge parties in Jerusalem, and the people would make a pilgrimage. They would go to Jerusalem for these festivals, and these 15 psalms, they would recite or they would sing along the way as they went up to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is set on a hill, and so they were called the Psalm of Ascent, the Psalm of Going Up to Jerusalem for these pilgrimage festivals. And these pilgrimage festivals were times of worship. And what this psalm allows for is it shows us how these pilgrims were preparing for worship. It shows us what the purpose of worship is. And that's what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to look at Psalm 121, and we're going to think, what does it mean, what does it have to do with the way that we approach worship and the way that we approach life? So we get to verse 1, and you find out as you begin to look at some of these early verses in Psalm 121, that one of the interesting things is how the psalm is structured. Essentially, there are two parts. Verses 1 through 2 make up a part, and then verse 3, there's a transition. So verses 1 and 2, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You can see where those first-person pronouns, I, my, it's, it's someone, an individual talking. But then look what happens in verse 3. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. It changes to a second person pronoun. In other words, an individual is speaking in verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3, someone else starts speaking to that individual. There's a call and response the closest thing that we have in contemporary life, well, really, we have two things. First, if you spent much time in an African-American church, you know what call and response looks like. I would be preaching, and you would be talking back to me most of the time. I've done that. It's a lot of fun. I preached in the Lower Ninth Ward, some in New Orleans, and that's a fun experience to do it that way. The other form that we have is a part of worship is called responsive reading, where a leader will speak God's word, and then the people will speak God's word back to them. And, and that's kind of what the structure of Psalm 121 is. So if you would, stand right now. And we are going to have a time of responsive reading. This may go back to your childhood church experiences. Guys, I'll need the screen because I didn't print these slides out, unfortunately, ahead of time. So I'll need to see them as, they, as we go along through, through this. I need to know what my leader portion is. All right, we're going to speak God's word together. I'll read the portion that says leader. You read the portion together that says congregation. And don't be that person that tries to speak really fast. Let's try to do this in unity in in honor of God's word. I raise my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? Oh, that would be my fault. I forgot to put the word him there. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Be 
Be on the alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to destroy. And I obviously messed up the next part. The last word is the word world when you get to your portion at the end. So one more slide. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen. You can be seated. It's good to read God's word together. Especially when there are words randomly missing at the at the end. But uh, you get the feel. This type of thing would have been going on as the people were going up to Jerusalem for the festival. There would have been a leader, almost in a military style, one person calling, another group calling back to them. And this would have been going up as the people were were beginning this procession. The first thing we know about worship, and this hopefully shows up on your notes on the back of the bulletin, the first thing is that it's obvious that worship is designed to remind us of God's power and help. There in verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills or or to the mountains. This could refer almost certainly to the mountains that surrounded Jerusalem. And mountains could either have a negative connotation here or could have a positive connotation. If it's negative, the mountains or the hills in the ancient world were considered places of danger. You didn't go into the hills or the mountains because there were most likely thieves that lived there. There were bandits that lived there. You were putting your life on the line if you went into the mountains. But the other side of that is the mountains included the mountain of the Lord, the place of Jerusalem, the place where the temple was. So as this psalmist was writing this, as he was going up to Jerusalem, he looked up and he would have seen the hills and thought, that looks very scary. I don't know if I should go there. But at the same time, he knew that in the midst of those hills was the mountain of the Lord, which is where his help came from. It was the source. It was the source of his hope. And so as he looks up there, he knows that those mountains are controlled by the Lord because we know that the Lord is the creator of the heavens and the earth. You see that in verse 2. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I don't have to be afraid of the mountains or the hills because I know who made the mountains and the hills. This becomes a source of hope. It becomes a source of help for him. You go to verse 3. He will not let your foot slip. What does it mean that he will not let your foot slip? There are a couple of things that are going on here that help us to understand this passage. The first is the word that is included there for slip is the word to be moved or to be shaken. And it was a word that if you were walking across a balance beam and you were holding one of those balance poles that keeps you straight as you walk across a balance beam, I have terrible balance, so I don't have any personal experience with this. But the idea is that that pole or that rod would keep you balanced as you went across, and you would not be shaken, you would not be moved off that. This is the idea of stability. So when it says he will not allow you to slip, you will be stable. The idea comes next that he will not slumber. So if God will not allow you to slip, he will also not sleep. 
Remember, these people are on a journey. They are going on a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, and this would have been a multi-day pilgrimage. It would have been one of those situations where they would have camped out under the stars several times on their way to Jerusalem. I don't know if you have any experience camping under the stars out in the wilderness, but if you do, the reality is that in some sense you are putting yourself in danger. The moment you close your eyes and go to sleep, there's a chance that either a person or a wild animal may come into the camp and cause trouble. A lot of times when people sleep out in the wilderness, either one person will be assigned to stay awake or you'll light a fire and try to keep the animals away that way. What's going on here is the Lord is saying, you don't have to worry. As you go up to Jerusalem, as you come to worship, you do not have to worry because I do not slumber. I am not going to fall asleep. Remember that the Lord rested on the seventh day of creation, not because he was tired, but because he was keen. The resting that happens in Genesis when he is finished with creation, it's not that he was exhausted and he needed a break. He is resting to show that he is in complete control, that he is king of kings and lord of lords, that he is the creator of heaven and earth. Now, I don't need to tell you that we are a people who need rest. And we are a people who don't get enough rest. And one of the things that we have seen in God's word is that resting, and this may come as very good news to you, but resting is an act of worship. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap which is the preacher giving you license to take a nap this afternoon as the most spiritual thing you can do. Because here's the reality. When we go to sleep, and we don't think about this often, but when we go to sleep, we are entrusting ourselves to the Lord. We lose all control. We're not the one that is protecting ourselves. We're not the one keeping ourselves breathing. We are saying, Lord, I'm in your hands. And I cannot keep going. I'm going to break down, get sick, fall apart if I don't sleep. I have to sleep. If you guys will skip ahead a couple of slides, we have some verses about sleeping that hopefully will come as, as good news. Psalm 3, 5. I lay down and slept and woke again for the Lord sustained me. The Lord is the one who gives sleep. He is the one who sustains us. Psalm 127. This may be some of you your life motto, but Psalm 127, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. In other words, we live in a culture that says, wake up early, go to bed late, do everything you can to get ahead. And the psalmist says, you know what? There's a place for work, but if you're working because you think the world depends on you, you're working for the wrong reason." The Lord is the one who provides what you need. And he will provide times to work, and he will provide times to sleep, and we have to trust him. In verse 5, we could just say amen and go home and take a nap, but we're going to keep going. So, verse 5, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. You can probably see the connection back to the previous verses about sleeping. This reference to sun and moon, day and night, is just another way of saying that the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. He he will always be with you. In Scripture, there's the story of Jonah. 
Jonah is the one who was swallowed up by the big fish and then was spit out on the shore. And all of us usually stop telling the story of Jonah at that point. But there's actually a chapter 4 in the book of Jonah where God wants to tell Jonah a lesson. And one of the things that God does in Jonah chapter 4 is as Jonah is sitting out there thinking about what's happened to him, God causes a plant to grow up over Jonah to provide shade. This psalm is almost certainly making a reference back to Jonah chapter 4. This plant grows up and provides shade over the top of Jonah. And you know what happens next? A pesky worm comes along and eats that shade And the sun begins to beat down on Jonah and cause this incredible heat stroke, essentially, to overcome him. Many of you know what it is to be out in the sun, to be exposed to the sun and to have no way to get away from it. Many of us come back from vacation and we prove that we were underneath the sun and had no way to get away. Or we did have a way to get away from it, but we just didn't take advantage of it. The people who were going on these journeys to Jerusalem, remember... They are not traveling in air-conditioned vehicles like we travel in. They are traveling through incredibly remote, incredibly hot areas. And they would have been terrified of heat stroke. They would have been terrified of the sun. But the moment the sun goes out, guess what happens? There comes the moon. And as much as they were scared of the moon, I mean of the sun, ancient people were even more scared of the moon. Because the moon represented the fear of the night. In uh, the New Testament, if you want to make a note on this, in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus is healing the people there. And one of the words that he uses that some of our modern translations will call epilepsy, one of the words he uses is the word moonstruck. Moonstruck was a reference, a, a physical reference given in the ancient world to someone who had in some way lost control of, of their body. And so the people were terrified of the moon. It's this w- idea of saying that when you wake up, you're scared of the heat. When you go to sleep, you're scared of having bad dreams. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're awake or you're asleep. It doesn't matter if it's day or night, you feel vulnerable. And the psalmist comes along and he says, you don't have to worry about that. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He made the sun and he can control that. He made the moon and he can control that. He will be with you day and night. Let me tell you that some people, and and many of you could speak to experience on this, some of the darkest spiritual times can come in the middle of the night. When times of fear hit you. Uh, you may be someone who struggles with nightmares, uh, night terrors. You, you wake up in the middle of the night and the worst possible thing happens, your mind turns on. If you have little kids, you know that there are certain times during the night when little kids will wake you up and you can feel your mind turning on and you think, oh dear God, no, don't let this happen because it's 2 a.m., And if my mind turns on now, there's no way I'm going back to sleep at this point. And then in the middle of the night, all of life's small problems get bigger. I don't know why that happens, but you have all these things you're dealing with in life, and you're thinking about them over and over and over again. And the psalmist says, he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. You do not have to be afraid of the sun or the moon. You don't have to be afraid of the day or the night. 
He is your foundation. He is the one that you worship. You can go back to that foundation. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Now, if you're tracking with the text at this point, that phrase, the Lord will keep you from all harm, should kind of make you draw back and say, yeah, but we all face harm. We all face difficulty. And that's absolutely true. You can look at the life of Jesus Christ. He faced ultimate difficulty and ultimate harm. So when it says that the Lord will keep you from all harm, you have to remember that this is in the context of these people going up to worship. And it also comes right after these references to the sun and the moon. What it means is that nothing will come into your life that will be able to overwhelm you to the point that the Lord is no longer in control. That's the idea behind verse 7, which is why it says at the end of verse 7, He will watch over your life. There's nothing that can happen in life that can remove God from His place as the creator of the heavens and the earth. There is nothing that can happen in life that can remove God from being the Lord of our lives, from watching over us. It's this idea of stability. A lot of scholars will call this particular psalm, and there are some others that are like it, they will call this psalm a psalm of orientation. In other words, when you're going through life and things seem shaky, when things seem disoriented, This is one of those psalms that kind of brings everything back to a stable place. It's a psalm of orientation that reminds us what is true about God, of the way he helps us and watches over us. And then in verse 8, it says, The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Those words coming and going probably mean your trip to Jerusalem for the festival and your trip home. So the Lord watched over your trip to First Baptist this morning, and he will watch over your trip home. He watches over you now, and he will watch over you forever. There is literally nothing, no place, no time, there's nothing that is outside of the Lord's watch and his care. And so then we kind of come to this point. Let me point you to another verse right there, just for a second. Lamentations chapter 3 Verses 21 to 24. There, there are some really good things that are, are connection points between this verse and Lamentations chapter 3. It says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That idea that every morning that you wake up, God is there. He is at work and he is in control and his mercies are new and fresh for that day. Now you come to verse 9 of Psalm 121. Obviously there's no verse 9 in, in your Bible. If, you're, if you have a verse 9, please let me know uh, about it. But verse 9, what would that look like? Actually that's part of the purpose of a psalm like this. A psalm like this that was designed as a pilgrimage psalm was sung or recited by people who were going up to worship in Jerusalem with the understanding that they would only be there a few days. Maybe three days, maybe eight days for some of the festivals. They'd only be there for a certain amount of time, and then they were going to return home. They were going to go back to work. When we gather together for corporate worship, when we come together for these types of corporate worship, we realize that we're talking an hour, an hour and a half, if you come for Sunday school, two and a half hours, something like that, and then 
we're going to return home to take naps, to work on projects, to get ready for work tomorrow, to do whatever we have going on. This is a particular amount of time, but it's a particular amount of time, it's a particular type of time that is designed to orient us, to remind us of who God is, to remind us how he's at work in our lives, and to prepare us for what comes next. On your notes, there's a a phrase there, worship prepares us to work. Worship, when we come together in these times of corporate worship, one of the things that it does in our lives is it prepares us for what is going to come next. God is always doing things in order that our lives will be impacted by that. And he does that in such a way so that when we go back to work, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go home this afternoon and spend time with your family, spend time with your friends, when you do those things, you will be able to do them without fear because we know that he is with us, and you will be able to do them without futility. In other words, you will know that they are not a waste because the Lord is always at work. He wants us to worship so that as a result of that, we will work in worship to him. I want to show you some verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He will not allow us to slip. He does not fall asleep. He is in complete control. Therefore, as a result of worshiping him for that, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When you've experienced God's work in your life, when you've been reminded of his power and his hope and his help, you will be in a position to work, to live life, for his glory, because you know that your life is not in vain. Those of you who are teachers, those of you who run businesses or are in places of leadership, you know the difference between an employee and a student who works with meaning to their life and a person who finds their work meaningless. Those two people go after life in completely different ways. And when we realize that the Lord is in control, and when we realize that the Lord is our help, and we realize that he is always there, it will transform the way we live. It will transform the type of student you are, the type of teacher you are, the type of parent you are, the type of employer you are, because we understand that God is the very foundation of our lives. How many of you have read My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers? Oswald Chambers is a well-known author, Christian author, from the late 19th century. Most of his material that we know comes from the early 20th century. Oswald Chambers, uh, this, my utmost for its highest, if you're not familiar with it, is probably available for free online at this point. But it's a daily devotional book, and you'll read a scripture and then you'll read a description or, or a explanation of that scripture that's often very powerful and the Lord has used it in some really powerful ways in my life and in my wife's life. But Oswald Chambers, he was born in Scotland in 1874. 
And he came to Christ at a young age. He became a Bible teacher, a Bible preacher. He traveled around the world. He did a lot of work in Cincinnati. He did a lot of work in London. He did a lot of work in Japan. But in, when the First World War broke out, Oswald Chambers was sent to Egypt to be a chaplain with the YMCA. Now, the YMCA at this point, their main job was to provide social activities so that the soldiers would not visit the brothels in Egypt. That, that was really their main role. When Oswald Chambers showed up in Egypt, he canceled the concerts, he canceled the movie nights, and he started Bible study. He said, I'm here. These soldiers are here putting their lives on the line. Their only hope is the word of God, and so I'm going to give that to him, to them. His wife, who went by the name Biddy, his wife would transcribe in shorthand his messages to those soldiers, and a lot of those messages are what we now read in that little book, My Utmost for His Highest. But something happened. Oswald Chambers died at a young age, at the age of 43, during an emergency appendectomy. The conditions weren't very good at the military hospital there. And so he died at the age of 43 in 1917 from an emergency appendectomy. At his funeral, do you know which psalm they used? Well, I've totally given it away because of what we've done this morning. They used Psalm 121. And all of the people at Oswald Chambers' funeral stood up and recited, spoke out Psalm 121. A couple of days later, one of the soldiers who had been a part of Oswald's unit came to his wife, to Oswald's wife, Biddy, and said, I don't know how I'm going to be able to go on. I do not know how I'm going to continue without his Bible teaching. And what she said, she said, we will learn the truths of God's word together. As we keep his word, he will keep us. She turned to Psalm 121 and began to read this psalm of hope and strength as this military man burst into tears. Psalm 121 was an orientation of hope and help and power and worship for these soldiers as they were on the front lines of World War I because they knew that the Lord was the creator of the heavens and the earth. He would not sleep, he would not slumber, he would not allow them to be harmed beyond the point that he was no longer in control. He was their foundation. And that is what I hope we come away from this text with this morning. And here's something I want to leave you with. As you think, how do I apply this to my life? Other than taking a nap this afternoon. But how do I apply this particular psalm to my life? Let me give you one word. And this word is not on your notes, but you're welcome to write it down. Here's one word. And it's the word proactive. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Proactive. A lot of times, the Psalms that we read in the book of Psalms, and a lot of times our approach to worship is reactive. Here's what I mean. We do something wrong. We get into a bad place in life. Something hard happens that we weren't expecting. And we react to that. And we go running to the Lord for help, for comfort, And we can do that. He is absolutely there. He will be there when we react to those times of stress, when we react to those times of difficulty, when we react to those times of sin. He will be there. But you know, that's not the way it's designed to happen. The way it's designed to happen is that we would be proactive 
in worship. That you go to worship week after week. You read God's word day after day. You seek to live for him at work day after day, week after week, so that when the temptation comes, you have a foundation in your life. You're ready to respond. So that when you get a call, that's the worst news you could ever imagine, you have a foundation that's in place. So often, our Christian lives are reactive. We go without the Lord for a while, something bad happens, and we come running back to him. And there are psalms that address that. But what I would encourage you to do is to be proactive. And parents, grandparents, a lot of this can begin with us. Sometimes your kids, and you may ask this as well, but sometimes kids will say, why do we have to go to church every week? Didn't we go last week? Yeah, absolutely, we did go last week. Well, why do we have to go again? Because we're being proactive. We are going to be proactive worshipers. We are going to form this foundation for our lives so that when those trials come, when those temptations come, that foundation will be in place. We've talked about this before. There are times that come up, things happen, you're not able to be there every week. But one thing we know to be true about ourselves is we forget God's goodness so quickly. And we forget his love so quickly. And we forget his forgiveness so quickly that if we are proactive worshipers coming back to him day after day, week after week, he will be our foundation. He will be our rock. Here in just a minute, we're gonna sing a song together about the solid rock, the foundation of our lives. If I can pray for you during that time of worship in some way, I would love to do that. If you saw Gary up here earlier being baptized and you realized, you know what, I need to take that step. I I need to do that. We'd love to pray for you about that. Maybe you just need to stand there and sing about Christ being the foundation for your life because we are going to commit to being proactive worshipers. He will not allow our foot to slip. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that even though the sun beats down on us with heat, and even though the night can be terrifying, God, even though we walk along difficult paths sometime, even though we get extremely tired, and we could all attest to that probably right now, even though all of those things happen, we look to the hills, we look to the mountains, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. God, you are the one who is in control of all things, and you are the foundation, the rock of our life. And so we will not live in fear, and we will not live lives that are meaningless. God, we desire to worship you. And God, I pray that this time of singing, this time of response would be honoring to you and would prepare us for the work that you have for us this afternoon, this week, and in the days to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?